Good morning. We are glad you're here today. Thank you for being here. It's a beautiful day. We're so thankful for the opportunity to be together. We appreciate so much those of you who are visiting. If you have the opportunity, we'd love to encourage you to come back. If you're looking for a church home, we always want people to know that they are more than welcome to become a part of the work here at Olive Branch. We're very grateful for all the good that's going on. Appreciate all the great works that are in place, and we hope and pray that you found a niche and that you were involved. I do want to say thank you to Jace for preaching in my absence last week. We're gr grateful for him and for his family and for the great contribution that they make here at Olive Branch. In our study today, we're going to be asking what I believe to be a very profound and personal question. And here it is. Who is a Christian? There are a lot of people in the world today that have what I would say is a worldview of a Christian. But what we're interested in in our study today, what does the Word, the Word of God say? There is a vast difference in what the world says and identifies as a quote-unquote Christian. And what the Word says is genuinely a child of God or a Christian. The word Christ, the name Christ, means anointed one. If you take the name Christ and add the suffix I-A-N, you have Christian. That suffix, I-A-N, means belonging to. And so what we're saying is that when we talk about being a Christian, we belong to Christ. We are His people. So if Christian means belonging to Christ, then here's the question. How then do I get to a point in life wherein I have a relationship with Christ. And I can say that I am a child of God, a Christian, a member of the body of Christ. And so we're going to be talking about that in our study of the day. I want to begin, first of all, by identifying a child of God. The passage that was read a moment ago, Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Paul there said, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And he said, if we're children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now you remember back in John chapter 16, Jesus was talking to the apostles. And he very specifically instructed them about the Holy Spirit or the Comforter that would be given them. There was a divine purpose behind the Lord giving the Holy Spirit to the apostles. He said after His departure that He would send the Holy Spirit to them. The Holy Spirit would then convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Down in verse 12, He said, I have many things to say to you, but you're not able to bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, Listen to him. He will guide you into all truth. The apostles were divinely inspired by Almighty God. 
And so in the first century, you had the apostles setting before the people in that day and time the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. We might say it like this. They were divinely inspired, and they could then set forth the terms of legislation into the kingdom of God, wherein a person might say, I'm a child of God. So how then do we identify a child of God? Well, we've got to go to the source, don't we? We've got to be able to go back to what the Bible says. And then, as we begin to explore what the Scriptures say, we can safely conclude, this is what a Christian is. This is, this is what the Bible has to say about the identity of a child of God. So number one, I want you to think for a moment or two about God's plea to the human family. God is concerned about those of us who belong to the human family. Matter of fact, Paul would say God would have all men to be saved, listen to him, and come to the knowledge of the truth. So the truth is the instrument through which people learn the terms of admission into the kingdom of God and enjoy a saved status. And then over in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter would say that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So now we have something set forth in Scripture about God's ideal for man. God desires the salvation of the human family. Over and over again, we read about the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. All of these components make up what we would say is the redemptive plan. God thought enough of us to send His only begotten Son into the world so that we might enjoy forgiveness of sins and have a relationship with Him. Why? Because God wants us to be saved. He wants us to be in a relationship with Him. He wants us to be in heaven. And then in Matthew chapter 11, during the earthly ministry of Jesus, He was interested in the people of His day. Do you remember He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. It's interesting that in the book of Matthew, we have Jesus encouraging people to come. Over in Revelation chapter 22, John closes the last book, the last chapter of the New Testament by saying, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. So God wants us to come to Him. He wants us to be in Christ. Here then is the second thought. First, God's plea for man. But then secondly, God's plan for man. Number one, to understand that there is only one person who can save. Who would that be? Well, the Bible identifies who that one person is. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the exclusive means of our salvation. Do you remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the apostle said, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So if we're going to be saved, it will only be through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So Jesus willingly went to the cross, bore our sins in his own body. That's what Peter said. You remember 1 Peter chapter 2? 
That Jesus bore our sins in His body on the cross that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. And then you have not just the body that was given in our stead, but the blood that was shed so that we might have forgiveness of sin. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, Unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins. So it is through the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus that we enjoy the release of sin in life. Now, I said a minute ago, there is only one person who saves. Jesus alone is our Redeemer. He's the one who has reconciled mankind to God. And so, if Jesus Christ is our Redeemer and He is our Reconciler, the question then comes to the fore, what then would I need to do to become redeemed or reconciled to God? There is one person who saves, and listen, please, very carefully. There is only one, and I can't underscore that enough. There is only one plan that saves mankind. And the only way we know about that plan is by going to this book that we call the Bible. You remember Isaiah said in the long ago, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. There are a lot of people in our world today, in their heart of hearts, they genuinely believe they're children of God. They think they have a relationship with God. Listen, I'm not interested in what the world says about salvation, but I am interested in what the book says. I've got to make sure that my life harmonizes with the teaching of Almighty God. What was it Paul said in Romans chapter 8? The Spirit Himself bears witness with my spirit that we are the children of God, that I'm a child of God. So what is, it, what is he saying there? Well, I can take the revealed will of Almighty God. That is, this book is inspired of God. And I can take this book and I can analyze it in light of what I have done to become a child of God. Now, either I meet the criterion set forth in Scripture or I don't. Either I have done what the Holy Spirit has revealed through this book or I have not. So what then does the Bible have to say about who is a Christian? What about this one plan? Now, I know what the world says again, and I'm not impugning anyone's motives. I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to be sarcastic or caustic or arrogant. But you need to know what the Bible says about salvation. We all need to know, to know that. Why? Because this book will one day judge us. You remember Jesus said, He that rejects me receives not my word. Has that which judges him? The word that I spoke, he said, the same shall judge him in the last day. Paul said, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth, Romans 2, 2. Somebody says, what's truth? Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. In Revelation chapter 20, John said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Listen to him. And the books were opened. What books? The word of the living God. When we stand before God and bow in His presence, this is the book that's going to be opened. It's not going to be some type of confession of faith. It will not be a denominational doctrinal book. It won't be some man-made creed, and the word creed simply means, I believe. The creed of churches of Christ is Christ and His Word. 
So this is the book that's going to be open. So does it matter whether or not my life is in harmony with this word? Yes, it does. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 7? said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name cast out demons. In your name done many mighty works. Were they religious? Yes. Did they think they had a relationship with the Lord? Absolutely. Had they made great sacrifices in life? The Lord didn't deny that. But He said He'll turn and say to those people, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You think on the day of judgment there are going to be a lot of people standing before God, thinking in their heart of heart, in their heart of hearts, that they were a child of God, that they belonged to Christ, that they were serving Him, that they acknowledged Him in their life. I don't doubt that one bit. But again, we're not talking about what I think or what the world thinks or what denominational churches say. Rather, we want to make sure that we know what the Bible has to say. And the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us there is only one plan that will save mankind. Not two, not three, not four, only one. There's only one Savior and there's only one plan given to us by the Savior. Now Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority, all power has been granted unto Him in heaven and on earth. And God the Father said we're to hear Him, Matthew 17, 5. And Paul said, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means to do it by His authority. So when it comes to the salvation of my soul, I want to investigate what the Bible has to say. And I want to make sure that my life is in harmony with this book. Because if I have not done what God has said to do in His book, I will be lost. And there are a lot of people in our world today, they're floating through life and they believe that they're children of God. They believe that they are a quote-unquote Christian. But they have not done what the Bible says to do. The world says, here's how you become a child of God. Here is what mainline denominations teach all across our world. You accept the Lord Jesus into your heart, and then you recite what they call the sinner's prayer. And you become a child of God. Listen, that is not what the record says. There is not one scripture that supports that teaching. Not one. And yet when I listen to the radio, when I watch television, that's exactly what I hear preachers say. So my question is, did Jesus have it right? Jesus said, He that believeth, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved, number three. Now, when people start trying to undermine the teaching of Almighty God, they have a serious problem. And when people tell you, you do not have to be baptized into Christ, please listen very carefully. They are telling you a lie. That's a lie. That is not what the Bible says. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's how you make a Christian. That's it. There is no other way. You can't contact the blood of Jesus without being baptized into Christ. 
You're not saved first and then baptized later. No, that's not what the record says. The record places belief and baptism before salvation. What gives a denominational preacher the right to tell you you don't have to be baptized into Christ? Tell me where any preacher today has the right to undermine what the Bible says. If I believe in my heart that Jesus is the Son of God and I say the sinner's prayer, I am still lost. That's it. I am lost and dying in sin. And Paul said the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. You can't be saved separate and apart from the Word of God. When you're baptized into Christ, you contact the blood of Christ and God puts you in His church. Please listen very carefully again. There is only one church authorized to exist in the world today, and that's the Church of Christ. Now, I could call it the Church of God, the Church of the Living God, but it is the church that Jesus built on Pentecost Day. He bought the church with His blood. And the only way that we can contact that blood is to be baptized into Christ. That's it. So there's only one church plan that saves mankind. Now look at Acts chapter 2. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, the Bible tells us that the apostles began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Chapter 2, verse 4. What Luke is saying there is the apostles were being guided into all truth in relationship to the gospel and God's plan of salvation. The terms of admission into the kingdom of God had been legislated by whom? By God in heaven. So here is Peter, the other apostles, and they're preaching the gospel on Pentecost Day. And the Bible says that Peter would make this statement, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus this Christ whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. God made Jesus both Lord and Christ. That is, He is the Anointed One, the Messiah, and He is to be the Lord of our life. Now the Bible says, when they heard this, they were cut, pricked in the heart. What was it Jesus said, John chapter 16? That when the Holy Spirit came, He would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. They were convicted by what means? By the Word of God. And so they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What was it Peter said on that day? Did he say to those people in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day, I want you to accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. Bow your heads with me and say this prayer. Now, if Peter was an inspired apostle, and he was, he received the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 16, 18. Here is a man that is speaking God's revealed will concerning entrance into the kingdom of God. Peter said, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That is, when you respond to the gospel of Christ. They already believed Jesus to be the Son of God. They were instructed to repent, to turn from sin, and then to be immersed in water so that their sins might be forgiven, removed, remitted. Saul of Tarsus, when he recounted his conversion story 
In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, he said, Ananias instructed him to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. Go through the book of Acts. When you begin looking at every single case of conversion, they all did the exact same thing. Well, what was that? They believed Jesus to be the Son of God. They repented of sin. They confessed the name of Christ, and they were immersed in water. And then God added them to the church. What church? The only church that existed. The church that Jesus built. So if we're going to identify a child of God, we have to understand what the Bible says. The Bible and the Bible alone makes Christians. That's it. It's not the Bible and this. The Bible minus this. No, it's just the Bible. So I want to know what does the Bible say. I don't care what people say. I want to know what the Bible has to say. Paul in Romans chapter 4 asked this question. What does the Scripture say? You think about all the people in our world today that have been instructed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to recite the sinner's prayer, and they think they're members of the body of Christ, that they're children of God. And yet, have they gone to the source? Do they know what the Bible teaches? Listen, if you're going to be honest and preach the gospel, then at least tell people what the Bible says. God ought to have His say in the matter, shouldn't He? It's not what I think. It's what the Bible says. So number one, to identify the child of God. Number two, we must identify the church of God. In the first century, Jesus promised to build the church. Are there identifying marks of the church that we read about in the New Testament? Yes, there are. Imagine if your car were stolen this week. You call the police, they make out a report, what are they going to do? They're going to ask you some pertinent questions about your car, aren't they? Is it a car, truck, two-door, four-door? Any special wheels on the car? What color? What's the interior look like? What's the VIN number? All of those things make up your distinctive car. By the same token, there are distinctive identifying marks of the New Testament church. So I can know whether or not I'm a child of God, and I can know whether or not I am a part of the church of God. And by the way, that name church of God is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. So what does the Bible say about the origination of the church? In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build, listen to him, my church. The church was bought by Jesus. He bought it and it belongs to Him. He built it. If He bought it and He built it, then that says to me, that's the church I want to belong to. Again, what, what was it we said about that suffix I-A-N? Attached to the name of Christ, it means belonging to. So when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we belong to Christ and His church. Now I said there's only one church. Can I back that up with the Bible? Yes, I can. The Bible says He's the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead, talking about Jesus there. The word beginning means active cause. 
the source from which something came into existence. And so what Paul is saying is, Jesus was the active cause behind the establishment of the church. So in Ephesians 4, 4, Paul said, there's one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. Verses 4 through 6, Ephesians 4. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul said he made all, he put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, listen to him, which is his body. So there's just one body, there's just one head. That's the church we're talking about. Had we been present on Pentecost Day and seen multitudes of people putting their faith in Jesus and obeying the gospel, and you know the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What if we had asked somebody in the first century, by the way, what church do you belong to? What would they have said? Hundreds, if not thousands, of different denominational bodies wearing different names, practicing different doctrines. Was that the Lord's plan? Does God honor churches that have been established wearing a different name and practicing a different doctrine than His? Let that sink in a minute. You, couldn't, you could not cite one modern denomination in the first century. Well, why? They didn't exist. If those churches didn't exist in the first century, then why, pray tell, would you want to be a member of one? They're not authorized to exist. God didn't authorize people to establish denominations all across our world. He didn't authorize the Catholic Church. Why? Because there's just one church. And listen, if you're not in that one church, then you are not numbered among the saved. Now that's pretty hard. And I know a lot of folks in the world today would tell us that, you know, that's not politically correct. Well, Paul said in the long ago, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth. I would rather you get mad at me, angry, I'd rather you get upset and then obey the gospel than never hear the truth of God. Somebody needs to tell you what the Bible says. Somebody needs to love your soul enough to tell you you can't be saved in a denomination. You can't. How do I know that? Because the Bible doesn't authorize them. So we talk about the origination of the church. Jesus built it. Well, what about the authorization of the church? Everything that we do is to be done in compliance with the authority of Jesus. We have no creed book. We don't have any type of manual of faith or catechism that we're observing. But rather, our authority comes straight from this book. It's what Jesus said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. This book is the last will and testament of Jesus. This book is what will judge us on the last day. That's why it is imperative that you know what the Bible teaches about what makes a Christian. If you're not in Christ 
And if you're not in the church of Christ, you will not be saved. What about the location of the church? In Romans chapter 12, in verse 5, Paul said, So then we being many members, listen to him, are one body in Christ. Are you saying then that the church is in Christ? It's exactly right. The church is in Christ. That means when you're baptized into Christ, you are automatically baptized into the church of Christ. When I use the term church of Christ, I am not saying church of Christ in a denominational sense. I'm saying that the church belongs to Christ. It's His possession. Again, a Christian, I-A-N, what does that mean? Belonging to. So when we talk about the church, we're saying the church belongs to Christ. Remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23? To the general assembly, church of the firstborn, which are registered in heaven. The firstborn set apart unto God. We belong to Almighty God. And so the location of the church, it's in Christ. That's why Luke said in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Well, what did Paul say in Ephesians 5, 23? He is the Savior of the body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church. So those who are baptized into Christ are baptized into the church of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, by one Spirit we are baptized into, listen to him, one body. Now listen, I'm giving you book, chapter, and verse. Why? Because you need to know what the Bible teaches. Don't take my word for it. You investigate what I'm saying and you make sure that what I say harmonizes with this book. If what I say is in harmony with this book, then obey it. And if not, discard it. So the location of the church, it's in Christ. Well, what about salvation in the church? You mean to tell me that I can't have a relationship with Jesus separate and apart from the church? That's exactly what I'm saying. You can't be in Christ and not in the church of Christ. You can't be in the church of Christ and not in Christ. So Pentecost Day, when the Apostle Peter legislated the terms of admission into the kingdom of God. Here is my question. Did Peter know what he was talking about? Either he did or he didn't. Was Peter preaching the truth? Yes or no? Yes. So if Peter preached the truth, if Peter knew what he was talking about, what gives me the right to come along and tell somebody to do something other than what an inspired apostle said? That's not honest. And there are a lot of folks in the religious world, they are not honest when it comes to the truth of Almighty God. They're not honest when it comes to how God makes a Christian. And they're not honest when it comes to the church of the living God. We're going to be judged by this book. We better make sure our lives are in harmony with it. And we better make sure that we are in the only church the Bible authorizes. That is the church of the living God. What about the organization of the church? Well, the Bible says there's one body and there's one head. And not two heads and one body, not one head and many bodies, but one head, one body. So is that a distinctive feature of the New Testament church? Yes, it is. 
Is there a church today that has two heads and one body? Yes. They have the vicar of Christ on earth is what they say. Is that what the Bible teaches? Did Jesus build the church on the apostle Peter? Absolutely not. Jesus is the one who founded the church, and He is the foundation of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the founder and the foundation of the, of the Lord's church. Matter of fact, Paul said He's the chief cornerstone in Ephesians 2. You remember in Ephesians 2, 16, Jesus said that, or rather, Paul said that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body. Reconciliation takes place where? In the one body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church. So again, we're simply looking at what the Bible teaches. Our time is short. I'm going to have to wrap this up, but I want to just make one other point very quickly. Would it be possible for us to identify the church of the New Testament? Another attribute, the identification of the church. Now, that term church is found some 95 times in the New Testament. The word church means ecclesia, the called out ones. You remember Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? Said we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And Paul in Colossians chapter 1 said we've been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So those who comprise the church, they are the called out. So the word church is a biblical term. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 I read about the kingdom of heaven. In Mark chapter 9 verse 1, the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, the church of God. In Romans 16, 16, the churches of Christ. All of these are biblical terms. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the church of the living God. Does a name mean anything? It does, doesn't it? People say, well, it really doesn't matter what name you wear. It mattered to the Lord. It matters based on what Scripture says. So I want to ask you today, in your heart of hearts, you know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, you've got to have an honest and good heart if you're going to be receptive to the kingdom. You know, there are a lot of folks are just not honest when it comes to what the Bible has to say. And if you're not honest, you don't have a good heart. But if you take what the truth has to say, and the truth can cut you, and it can hurt but again, look, I'm not, telling the, I'm not telling you these things to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. And somebody needs to tell you what the Bible has to say. When I stand before God on the day of judgment, I don't want you pointing in my direction and saying, you know what, he knew the truth and he never told me. No, I don't want that to happen. I want you to be able to stand before God one day and say, listen, Mike Hickson told me exactly what I needed to do. Told me exactly what the Bible teaches. You're not, you're not going to be judged on the words of Mike Hickson, but you will be judged on the words which I preach and teach. That is the gospel. So are you a Christian? Have you done what the Lord has instructed you to do to become a child of God? And listen, 
You can't be saved in a denomination. That hurts. And there are a lot of good, sincere people in this world. But you know what? If we don't tell you the truth, you're not going to be saved. We speak the truth in love. So I want to ask you, and I know there are folks here today that have not obeyed the gospel. I know that. So my question to you, what are you waiting on? You better make sure you live for truth. Paul said the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because He's appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. You're going to stand before God one day. And could I say to you, sir or ma'am, it will matter whether or not you've obeyed the gospel. It will matter whether or not you are a child of God and whether or not you are a member of the church of the living God. If you're here today and you haven't become a child of God, please obey today. Paul said today's the day of salvation. If you're here today and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, my plea to you is come home. Don't die unfaithful. Don't die outside a covenant relationship with Almighty God. Won't you come as we stand and sing?